Open up, if you would, this morning, please, to Hebrews chapter 12. We are in part five of our five-part series on the fruit of faith, and uh, we'll finish that up this morning, start some new exciting stuff next week. Man, I'm glad you guys are here. I, I like hearing you sing. I just enjoy it. Um, it's, it encourages me. It blesses me, and I enjoy singing with you. I'm glad that I am sitting in front of you and not behind you so you can't hear me sing. Um, can you? Uh, well, now I'm self-conscious and I won't sing anymore. I, uh, I, 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 beautiful noise. Thank you. I, I went to, uh, this will date me a little bit, but like uh, maybe my senior year in high school, I went to a Dawson McAllister conference with my, my cousin. I know, right? Yeah, with, with my cousin and my sister. And there was something like, you know, 4,000 people at this conference and everybody was worshiping and I was clapping, you know, like we were all clapping, but I got off beat because I was, I can't sing and clap at the same time. And, uh, and my, my, uh, cousin and my sister made fun of me and I have not clapped in a song since. Uh, so, uh, I won't be singing anymore, uh, uh, except for in the shower. So thank you for that. And, uh, anyway, but I, I do enjoy you guys singing, and I'll continue to enjoy you guys singing. <laughs> Here's what we have on tap today. Our theology is this. Christ is the author and perfecter of our faith. Christ is the author and perfecter of our faith. Our application today is this. Our lives entrusted to a faithful creator are shaped for his glory. Our lives entrusted to a faithful creator are shaped for his glory. And our prayer today is this. God, through your grace, grow our faith to know love, and enjoy you more. God, through your grace, grow our faith to know, love, and enjoy you more. We've been talking the last few weeks about the fruit of faith and that, uh, that as we believe in God and as we trust God to be who he says he is and do what he says he will do, that it shapes our lives. It shapes how we behave. It shapes how we handle, we talked about last week, suffering. It shapes how we will endure suffering. It shapes uh, our passions and our pursuits that as we come to better understand who God is, the inevitable result is that that transforms us more and more into his likeness. We've been talking a lot the last couple of weeks about how this is not about our works. This isn't about a performance-based thing. This isn't like uh, you're not graded on some sort of scale that, you know, you're a better Christian than so-and-so or a worse Christian than so-and-so, that our righteousness is about faith in God and his work through Jesus Christ. Here in Hebrews 12, the author of Hebrews who I will probably at some point refer to as Paul, but we don't know that it, if it was Paul. Uh, the author of Hebrews has been making a case for the entire book. I, I got to tell you, it, it's super, uh, okay, that's not necessarily objectively true. It's subjectively true. I find it super exciting when you can kind of picture the whole book in, in like one kind of lump, you know? So like when you can kind of think of Hebrews as a whole thing instead of just a couple of verses, it's super cool and it makes it kind of come to life a little bit more. The author of Hebrews, whoever the individual was, is writing to the Hebrew people, the Jewish people, and he is, he is encouraging them to hold fast to their faith in a Savior, in the Anointed One, in the Messiah, and ultimately in Jesus. And in chapter one, he says, listen, he goes, Jesus is better than Moses. 
Jesus is better than the angels in chapter 2. In chapter 3 and chapter 4, he reminds them of what happened when people disbelieved God and how they died in the wilderness, uh, talking about the 40 years of the Exodus. And then in chapter 5, he reminds them about Melchizedek. Melchizedek's a really cool guy from Genesis 14. It's the only place we see him. But he's mentioned once in Hebrews 5, uh, 5 again in 6, in Hebrews 7. And he's a high priest, the priest of God Most High. Uh, his name literally means king of righteousness. Uh, Melech is a Hebrew word that means king, and Zedek means righteousness. So king of righteousness is Melchizedek. And, uh, and it's a picture of Jesus. Some people think that it may have been an incarnation of Jesus. We don't know. Uh, there isn't anything to indicate that in the text. But Jesus is at least compared to Melchizedek. And then in chapters 8, 9, and 10, the author of Hebrews says, Jesus is better than the Old Testament sacrifices. They couldn't save anybody, but Jesus can. Uh, Jesus is better than the priest of the Old Testament. They were imperfect, but Jesus is perfect. Heaven is better than the Old Testament temple. Uh, and, and so he's making this case that Christ is richer and better by far. And in chapter 10, he begins to invite the reader to just trust God. God is worthy of our faith, he says. And about halfway through what we call chapter 10, he says, believe God, trust God, put your faith in God. And one of my favorite verses that I've already mentioned twice in this series, I'll mention for the third time. That's 60% of the times if you're doing the math. Uh, in 1035, the Bible says this, do not throw away your confidence for it has a great reward. And this isn't, don't throw away your confidence in your basketball abilities, you know, because one day you'll be a superstar. That's not what it is. Like here he's built this entire case for now nine and a half chapters about the greatness of Christ and the sufficiency of Christ. And, and he's saying, look, you have your confidence in a Messiah. Christ is that Messiah. Christ is the object of our faith. Don't throw away your confidence in the Messiah because there's great reward in knowing Jesus. And then in chapter 11, he gives all these examples of people who believed God. Noah believed God that there was going to be a flood. Abraham believed that God was going to raise Isaac from the dead if he offered him as a sacrifice. Enoch believed God and was, uh, didn't even die, went straight to heaven. And so like all these people believed God, even to the point where he ended, where we ended last week, even to these people who were, who were tormented and were persecuted, and some were even put to death in the name of Christ. And he says that all of these died uh, having not received what was promised, but they died in their faith, their faith in the Messiah. And so he, he's built, built this case for Christ. He's asked the reader, and by extension us, believe in Christ, put your trust in Christ. And then he says, look at all these people who believed God and were not disappointed. Keep in mind that some of them did die for their belief in Christ. But he says, keep, all, keep your faith in God. And then chapter 12, verse 1. So our theology is, Christ is the author and perfecter of our faith. Look at Hebrews 12.1. Therefore, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, and that's everybody he's just mentioned in chapter 11, everybody who trusted God. Therefore, since we are surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses, let us lay aside everything that hinders and the sin which so easily entangles, and let us run with endurance the race that is set before us, fixing our eyes on Jesus, the founder and perfecter of our faith, or Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising its shame, and is now seated at the right hand of the throne of God. Here's what the author of Hebrews says. To the reader, he says this. When you're having a hard time, when you're having a difficult time in knowing what to do and how to press forward into God, and, and, and you're uncertain about it, he goes, look at everybody who has believed God before. 
Look at this example of people. Look at this host of people that have believed God ahead of you. Look at all these people who have trusted God before and let what they believe be an encouragement to you. Some of you have an incredible uh, familial kind of legacy. And, and you think, man, if I could just be like my dad, or if I could just be like my mom, or if I could just be like my grandfather, or, man, my great-grandfather, my great-grandmother was the greatest person. Like, and, and you kind of have this, like, uh, not sinful pride, but just this delight in, in this familial legacy that you have. Some of you have that, and you're able to say, man, if, if only it, it could be like that. I have at our house, I have uh, my grandfather, my paternal grandfather, I have his purple heart and his silver star from World War II and a letter of commendation from the general that he served under. And he uh, took out a couple of snipers and directed artillery fire on a tank that was attacking their location. And he was commended and it was really cool. And so I have that in a little shadow box on my shelf at home. And, uh, and then like my grandmother, who he was married to, I have her banana bread recipe. It's the only thing we have of hers. Like we don't have any other recipes. And she cooked all the time, but like that's the only recipe we have from her. And, and so that's like, that's my familial legacy. I have a couple of medals and a banana bread recipe, you know, and, and uh, you don't want to dig too deeply on the Douglashes um, because everything else is pretty bad. All right. Uh, it is pretty bad. Like it, the few people who have looked up my name in Scottish ledgers and stuff like that and different Scottish historical things, Every single one of them says the Douglashes were known as troublemakers. I mean, obviously, you know, and, uh, and, and, and so our, the, the family legacy is not a great one uh, other than a couple of things. But some of us have, some of you have like this incredible legacy and you're like, man, if only I could be like this person, if only I could accomplish half of what they accomplished. Well, we have an incredible legacy. We have a legacy of people who have gone before us who said, man, I believe God. I believe what he's done. I believe what he's said. I believe what he's promised. And the invitation of the author here in Hebrews is to consider these people who have believed God ahead of us so that then we can be encouraged in our belief in God. Do you know somebody like that? Do you know somebody who has believed God? Can you think of somebody who, who their belief of God has shaped your belief in God, has encouraged you in your faith, has challenged you in your faith, has, has pressed you deeper into Christ? Can you think of somebody who has gone before you? And, and, and I think, I don't know why I, I do, but every time I think of uh, the really godly people I've had the opportunity to know, uh, all, of them, all of them are dead. And, uh, and I think of, of how, they, how they died with their focus and their heart and their attention and their affection on Jesus uh, to, the, to the last moment of their life. And they were able to say that this is worth it, that God is worth it, that God is glorious. And then, and then like, th- this is supposed to offer an encouragement to us. Not just the stories of the Bible. Look at, look at how God was faithful to Noah. Look at how God rescued Daniel from the lion's den. Look at, look at how Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego were rescued from the fiery furnace. Look at the people who loved God and believed him so deeply that they were tortured or that they were sawn in two or that they were flogged or that they were thrown into imprisonment or they were killed with the sword. Look at these people who believed so deeply in the things of God that it shaped their very lives and you be encouraged by that. Maybe that's not your flesh and blood, earthly family, your namesake, but it is your Christian family namesake. It is these people who have loved and believed and known in God before us, who have gone before us. And so the author of Hebrews says, since we're surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses, throw aside everything that hinders 
and the sin which so easily entangles, and run with endurance the race set before you. Looking to Jesus, or fixing your eyes on Jesus, the author and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy set before him endured the cross, despising its shame, and is now seated at the right hand of the throne of God. Look at verse 3. Consider him, this is Jesus now, consider him who endures uh, such hostility against himself from sinners so that you will not grow weary or faint-hearted. In your struggle against sins, you have not yet resisted to the point of shedding your blood. Consider Christ who endured such hostility against himself at the hands of wicked men so that you don't give up. Think about Jesus, who is God, who, who stepped down out of heaven, who clothed himself in humanity, who, who holds all of creation together by the word of his power, Colossians chapter 1 tells us, who, who upholds everything, who, who spoke everything into existence. Uh, John chapter 1 tells us that everything that was ever made was made through Christ, and without Christ, nothing was made that has been made. Think of this God who clothed himself in humanity, who came to the earth, submitted himself into the hands of wicked men, and faced death on the cross. Why? Why consider that? So that in your struggles, you don't lose heart. And then he says this. The author of Hebrews says this. For you have not yet resisted your sin to the point of shedding blood. Here's the parallel. Christ, in obedience to the Father, came to earth, and in obedience to the Father, went to the cross and resisted sin and resisted temptation at every turn, fulfilling the will of the Father at every turn, obeying and glorifying the Father at every turn, up until and to the end of his life. Like, it cost him his life. He shed blood in his resistance against sin. And the author of Hebrews goes, you haven't had to go that far. You haven't had to go as far as Christ has gone. So when you're going through a struggle, when you're going through difficult times, when you're going through trials and temptations, when you're going through persecutions, fix your eyes on Jesus. Consider Jesus who died in obedience to the Father so that you won't grow faint-hearted. There's this mindset that if somebody else has done it, it makes it easier for us to do it. If somebody else is accomplishing it, if somebody's with us in it, 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 it somehow makes it more palatable, more easy, uh, easier, not more easy. That's bad. But I'll tell you this. Uh, I did a, a kids camp for third through fifth graders for a buddy of mine. Um, he's a children's pastor in San Antonio of a large church. And, and I did his kids camp seven years in a row. And they'd have like 350 third through fifth graders at this camp. And, uh, and I... I, I am on the tipping point of having a fear of heights and just really respecting heights from a distance, you know? Like, I see these photos every now and then of people, like, standing on the edge of a cliff, you know, like, with their arms up in the air, and I'm like, it's not worth that. Like, what if you slip? Like, you know, I mean, like, you know? Like, I don't, uh, you know? And so I was at this camp, and they have a tower with a, with a zip line on it. And there's like four cables with a zip line. And it's, it's not the highest zip line in the world, but it's, I mean, if you fall, it's not going to feel good. It will change the shape physically of your life, you know? You're going to look a little different. And so here I'm at this camp, and this third grade girl comes up to me, and she goes, Pastor Ryan, I want to go on the zip line, but I'm nervous. Will you go with me? She has no idea. That I, I don't want to go. But what do you say to an eight-year-old girl that's like this big? You go, yeah, of course. 
So it came time for me to go get on the zip line that afternoon. And they harness you up and they put a helmet on you. And I'm just telling you right now, anything you have to wear a helmet for is inherently dangerous. Not once in my painting career have I had to wear a helmet. Ever. It's in, there's an inherent... They're, they're, they're saying you may, you may... You need to protect your brains. That's what they're telling you. This could cause you bodily harm. So we're up there and she's to my right. And her two friends are to my left, and we're all up there. And I, I can't look down, so I'm looking at her. And here's what I do. I don't think she still knows this to this day. She's, she's got to be like 16 or 17 these days. I don't know. But, but well, older than that. Doesn't matter. Uh, she's probably in college. But, but I'm looking at her, and I'm like, hey, just look at me. <laughs> what she doesn't know is I, in my head I'm thinking, so I won't be scared. But I'm implying so that she won't be scared, right? At this point, I'm like, I'm like 35, you know? Like, I can't be scared of this. I'm surrounded by three eight-year-old girls, you know? So we're on the edge, and that's the worst part is going off the edge because then there's this, like, little... You're not supposed to go off the edge. That's why most edges have, like, handrails and stuff. And so I'm like, are you ready? And they're going to count us down. And I'm like, are you ready? And I'm saying that more to myself than to her. But it's an eight-year-old girl, and if she's going to be brave, I can be brave. You know, that's it. And so time comes, and we go. And the whole way down, I'm like, just look at me. Just look at me. And I, I did it. I didn't do it again. But I did it, you know. And, uh, and I did it because someone else had the courage to do it. That's what the author of Hebrews is saying. My boys and I, uh, we've already planned. We go to Ruidoso every summer for vacation, so they've decided they want to do the zip line that's on the mountain, Ski Apache. It's three different sections. You get on it, and you go down, and then you get on it, and you go down, and you get on and go down. The first section is 5,300 feet, and if you know anything, that's a mile. <laughs> the highest you are above the ground at any given point is 255 feet. You're going up to 65 miles an hour. But my boys and my niece who's going with us are like, we got to do that. So, you know, I'm surrounded by a cloud of witnesses who are like, I'm in. And so I've got to be in. We're trying to talk Michelle into it. Now you can encourage her in that. Here's, here's my point. When, when, we have, when we have the camaraderie of other people, believers in this case specifically, who have said, I've put my faith in God. And here is how it has shaped me. That dynamically strengthens our position to follow God. Do you know this? Do you know this yet that we need each other? Did you know that Christianity is not a solo sport? I'm saying this because when I was growing up, I was taught that Christianity was a solo sport. And here's what I mean by that. Every sermon, I would hear the preacher say, how much time are you spending in the Bible? How much time are you praying what does your worship look like? All individual sports. Listen, that was never the intent. We are a body. We are a family. And this isn't about how is your spiritual life. This is how are we together. 
This is a community of people that where we can shape one another and encourage one another, where we can, like these people in Hebrews 11, say, look, let me testify to you about what God has done. Let me tell you about a time that I trusted God. Let me tell you about what I believe to be true about God. Let me tell you how I've seen him to encourage me and challenge me and shape me and bring me out of sin and bring me to a place where I know him more. And then we collectively go, oh man, that's exactly the testimony I needed to strengthen me. Be surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses. And then, in addition to that, consider Jesus, God Almighty, who before the world existed, existed, and he spoke and universes popped into existence. Consider God Almighty, who was mistreated at the hands of sinful, wicked men who died on the cross, who shed his blood in resistance to sin, to bring righteousness to those of us who have faith. Consider Jesus so that you won't grow faint-hearted and lose hope. I know it sounds trite. (laughs) It's not meant to be. But whatever you're going through, I promise you, is not as bad as holy, righteous God being killed by sinful, wicked men. I promise you. It is not as profane as that. There won't be anything that is worse than holy, righteous God being killed by wicked men. That injustice And so whatever you and I are going through, look to Jesus, who in obedience to the Father submitted himself into the hands of wicked men, shed his blood on the cross so that you and I won't grow faint. I don't know how much longer I have. I feel like 50 is a little bit too generous. I don't feel like I've got 50 more years. I feel like I can get another 40. You know, every year I'd kind of look at my life and think, can I get it, you know, can I double my life from where I'm at right now? I mean, realistically speaking, when I turned 25, which was a long time ago now, several of my friends said, man, you're a quarter of a century old. I said, you're naive to think I'm going to make it to 100. Say that I'm 33% of the way through my life because that's more reasonable. (laughs) Some of you who are about that age now just went, oh, I'm sorry. (laughs) Maybe you'll make it to 100. You can't play with Legos anymore. They're only for ages 8 to 99. Um, (laughs) Right there on the box. It's Anyway, funny memes about that, but another time. Listen to this. The author and perfecter of our faith is Jesus. The author and finisher, the founder and perfecter of our faith is Christ. I want to share something with you. Philippians 1.6 says this about Christ or about God. It says, he who began the good work in you will carry it to completion to the day of Christ Jesus. Now, here's what happens. Here's what happens. In Philippians 2.12, there's a verse that never gets finished. People never finish it. They they should. There's a comma there, but Philippians 2.12 says, work out your salvation with fear and trembling, comma, for it is God who is at work within you both to will and to act according to his good pleasure. I, I need you and I to come to this understanding that what we, what we bring to the table isn't enough to make us righteous or holy. There is nothing that you can add to your salvation. There is nothing that you can do that makes you righteous. There is nothing that you can do that makes you holy. Where our righteousness comes from, where our holiness comes from, where our ability to please God comes from is that we trust in him. We put our faith in him for the righteousness he has supplied through Jesus Christ. I I, I grew up, I just did, I grew up believing, and I'll tell you, like, Micah points this out to me frequently. Uh, Not frequently, that's unfair. He points out to me uh, periodically. That's, that sounds better. He points out to me periodically that I am, I am the most legalistic one out of Pierce and Micah and myself. Uh, it's always done in love. 
But he's completely right. Like I grew up in like super legalistic, staunch kind of Baptist churches where uh, you had to tow the line, um, which I always thought meant like towing a line, like towing it. Have I told you this before? It means T-O-E, towing the line, putting your, your, like you're ready to, I never knew that. I just thought it meant like you were pulling a line and I had no idea why you were pulling it. (laughs) The number of things that I have misunderstood in my life could fill a book. Nice. There you go. Thanks. Appreciate it, Rachel. Well, I'll put another dollar in your tip jar. Uh, now you can buy that coffee in Ukraine. All right. The, the thing that I want us to understand, though, is like I, I grew up. How many of you, I, I, I'll say it differently. I, I grew up with the mindset and the concept that God liked me today based on how much I'd read my Bible this past week. Or, or did I, I can't tell you in my early 20s the conflict I had over raising my hand or not raising my hand in worship. I'm serious. I'd go to church camp and I'm in that environment and I'd raise my hands or I'd go to a college retreat and I'd raise my hands or I'd go to passion and I'd get to my Baptist church where no one raised their hands and they only stood up if the minister told them to stood up and you did this like every other song, you know? Would everybody stand? Sit down because then you got to do the offering. Okay, would everybody stand? And you're just doing that like the whole time, right? Um, your quad's got a good workout but like your heart maybe. I don't, anyway, so, so I, I would sit there and I'd be at church and I'd be like, I feel like I want to raise my hand. And then I'd be like, people here don't raise their hands. Should I raise it? I want to. No, I'm not going to. People, and I, for like a year, for like a year, I, I, I was kind of this. And so, so I'd kind of just do this, you know, <laughs> put my hand here. That's, that was my compromise. No one can really see this, you know. <laughs> and then every now and then you kind of do this, kind of put it in front of you. You know, and I had this big debate in my mind, like, does God wants me to raise my hands? I believed it. I really did. God wants me to raise my hands. Maybe he did. Maybe he did. Here's the thing. God doesn't like you more or less if you raise your hands. I used to, I used to miss a day, miss a day in Bible reading and my whole week was off. Oh man. George Mueller, who's my hero in the faith, one of my heroes in the faith, uh, born in 1805, died in 1898, became a Christian at 20 years old, from 20 to 93 years old. In those 73 years of his Christian life, read the Bible just over 200 times. I thought if Georgie could do it, I can do it, you know? I, I need to live until I'm 90 to be able to do that. But, like, man, you miss a day, and you're like, oh, sorry, God. I'll talk to you tomorrow. Like, anybody ever feel like that? You missed your quiet time, so you feel like maybe God didn't want to hear from you today, so you got to prime the pump tomorrow. You'll double read your quiet time tomorrow so that God will listen to you, you know, so that he'll hear you. I need you to know right now your church attendance, the number of Christian T-shirts in your closet, uh, the, the cross necklace you wear or don't wear or, or whatever. You only listen to K-Love. Like, in the 90s, that was it, man. Like, all the cool kids listened to K-Love. We didn't listen to the other. You know, like, whatever it was. I know Micah. Micah hates all the 90s music and K-Love. But, uh, but man, like, those are not the things that make you righteous. Hear me say this, and you're going to think that there's a catch, but there's not. Your righteousness, your righteousness depends upon your faith in the work of God. And the work that Christ did on the cross. That's it. Here's the question that is posed to us, that is posed to the readers of Hebrews. Do you believe God? Not 
What have you done? What have you accomplished? How much have you accomplished? What's your familial legacy? Do you believe that God has supplied salvation? Do you believe that God has supplied righteousness? Do you believe that God has supplied holiness? And here's what happened. And this is, this is how I was raised. And so it's how I, I taught it for a long time. Let me get to our application because in my first service, I forgot to mention the application. Uh, so the application is this. Our lives entrusted to a faithful creator are shaped for his glory. Our lives entrusted to a faithful creator are shaped for his glory. Listen to me very, very carefully, okay? I grew up knowing beyond a shadow of a doubt that salvation was a matter of faith. And then I was taught righteousness is maintained by what I accomplish. I was taught that for years. I was taught that my performance determined how pleased God would be with me. And I need you to know that is not biblically true. That is not theologically sound. That is not the character of God. That is not the nature of God. That you are pleasing to God on the basis of faith alone. And I also need you to know, I need you to know where it says here in Hebrews, where it says that, that he is the author and perfecter of our faith, where it said in Philippians 1 that he who began the good work in you will carry it on to completion, where, where it says in Philippians chapter 2 that, that it is God who is at work within us both to will and to act according to his good pleasure. I need you to know that, that God is working in us and that when we believe God, when we believe that God is who he says he is and that he loves the way he says he loves and that he forgives the way he says he forgives, the inevitable conclusion is that it shapes us and changes our lives. If a married couple comes to Michelle and myself and says, we're having a very difficult time uh, in our marriage, and one of them will say, I, I, I'm, I'm struggling loving my spouse, and you know that breaks your heart or whatever, the, the customary way of handling that in the past has been, okay, y'all need to have a date night at least once a week. Try to say at least three nice things to each other before you go to bed. These are all advices that I've heard other people give. Look each other deep in the eyes, be quiet for a minute, hold each other's hands, and then say one encouraging positive thing to each other before you go to bed. Uh, all of that's fine. None of that will save your marriage. So when they come and they sit down in our house, we say to them, listen, if you're struggling loving with each other, let me start by telling you how much God loves you. Our ability to love, hear this, our ability to love properly comes from a proper understanding of how deeply God loves us. Our ability to forgive properly comes from a deep understanding of God's forgiveness of us. Our ability to give mercy comes from an understanding of how deeply merciful God has been to us. Hear me say this. As we come to know and understand God more deeply and enjoy him more richly, not just that we've put faith in him, but that we are developing that faith and coming to understand him and learn about him and grow in him, those truths of who God is shape us more and more into the glory and the image of God. The Bible tells us in John chapter 16 and also uh, John chapter 13 that the Holy Spirit has come to guide us into all truth. The Holy Spirit's been given to us to guide us into all truth. God's the one who loved you and sent his son to die for you. Jesus is the one who shed his blood for you and, and, and gave you his righteousness. The Holy Spirit's the one who has sealed us in God and teaches us the truth of God 
let yourself off the hook a little bit, please. I, I mean, like Mike had told me uh, a couple of weeks ago, and I didn't agree with him at first. Uh, I told Michelle a couple of days later, I think that Micah was right. Micah told me a couple of weeks ago, he goes, Ryan, you're a perfectionist. I don't feel like I'm a perfectionist. I do everything poorly. Everything I do, I screw up. Um, but as I started thinking about it more, that's something a perfectionist would say, you know? Right? You're never happy with anything you've ever done. Everything you do, you, oh, I should have done it better. Ah, oh, I screwed that one up. Oh, I should do more. Anybody ever feel like that? You just feel like, man, I got to do more. I got to be better. I got to, like, I, there's a guy that I, I followed on social media for a, a while, and he did a post the other day just saying, all of you parents whose kids did not get academic awards this year, it's okay. And he said, I didn't get any either. He goes, I barely made it out of high school. He goes, like, by the skin of my teeth, they were just like, just go. And he goes, and now I'm reading, he goes, I'm reading 100 substantial books a year. And I'm doing this, and I've written a doctoral thesis on this. And I'm, I, and I'm thinking, I, I got stuck on 100 books a year. <laughs> I like to read. A good year for me is like six books. And, I, and I'm like, man, I'm, I'm terrible. I've only read like half a book this year and a pamphlet. I didn't know it was a pamphlet when I ordered it. I, I ordered this book that was recommended to me. It was eight bucks. I got it in the mail. It's like 12 pages. I was like, eight bucks? Anyway, I'm still a little bit upset about that. You ever compare yourself to somebody else? You ever think, man, they've got it right and I don't. Their marriage is good. Mine's not. They're accomplishing this. I'm not. Right? Like, we do that all the time. Quit. Quit. Hear me say this. If you have put your faith in Jesus, you are righteous and loved and forgiven and whole. Believe that. Trust that. You who have believed in Jesus are righteous and forgiven and loved and whole. You who have believed in Jesus, righteous and loved and forgiven and whole. You who have put your faith in Jesus, righteous and loved and whole. We're the same. We're the same. I don't get more points than you because I'm a preacher. You and I both have the same source of righteousness. We both have the same source of holiness. And we both have the same God who is working in us to make us more like him. Your failures from yesterday do not shape who you are in the kingdom of heaven. It may have consequences right now, but it hasn't undone the cross. I want us to be people whose confidence rests in Jesus and not self. Paul says it this way here. Ah, see, I did it. The author of Hebrews says it this way here. He says, uh, let us run with endurance the race that is set before us, fixing our eyes on Jesus, the author and perfecter of our faith. Let us run with the endurance the race set before us. There's another text about racing. It's 1 Corinthians 9. I used to do a lot of Fellowship of Christian Athlete events. I'd go and preach at them. The two texts that the Fellowship of Christian Athletes people would always ask you to preach on were 1 Corinthians 9, running a race, and Hebrews 12, running a race. Athletics. And so they'd call me up and they'd go, hey, we're this FCA group. We'd like you to come and speak. And in the back of my mind, I'd be like, is it 1 Corinthians or is it Hebrews? You know? And it was always one of them because they want you to run the race. It's athletics. you know. Uh, it's funny how we think like that. I mean, like, 
I mean, David was an athlete. Like, let's talk about David and Goliath or something, you know? Like, Samson ripped a lion apart with his bare hands. That feels athletic. I don't know. Um, <laughs> I, I, I am not historically athletic, so I'm, I don't have a good frame of reference for those things, you know? But I feel like ripping a lion apart has to at least be impressive, you know? I mean, unless it's a stuffed lion. But you know what? Some of those are made really well. Some of the stitching on that's tough. Like, it's not going to come apart in one pull. Like, you probably have to, like, clip a few of those threads, and then you could look them for Anyway, I'm thinking now for kids camp next year, and I'll be Samson in a stuffed lion. Anyway, it'll be, it'll be fun, and stuffing will be everywhere, and it'll be graphic, and everybody will remember it. In each of these cases, in each of these cases, Paul in Corinthians and the author of Hebrews and Hebrews is talking about charging forward with Christ as the object of your direction. Here's what I want to say to you. I'm not telling you not to read the Bible. I'm not telling you not to have a prayer time. I'm not telling you not to worship. I'm telling you that those are not the object of our faith. Don't fix your eyes on your prayer time. Don't fix your eyes on your Bible study. Don't fix your eyes on your church attendance. Fix your eyes on Jesus. All of the stuff in between, all the incidental stuff with eyes fixed on Jesus takes shape as the Spirit works in us. You, you've got to believe that God who started this work in you is going to finish it, that he's bigger than you and I, that he is faithful to complete it, that, that God is the object of our, our, our affection and our hope and our joy and our peace. This is about Christ. This is about setting our affection on Jesus. You want to be people who look like Christ. You want to be people who, who demonstrate the beauty and the glory of God. Be people who have fixed your eyes on Jesus. That's where all of it rests for us. And if you're struggling reading the Bible, listen to it. You know? There are like, we live in a pretty cool age. There are so many podcasts. You, you can listen to the Bible now where it's like acted out and you can hear the lambs in the background. I haven't listened to that one. Um, I, I don't know if the lamb screams as he's about to be slaughtered or whatever. Like that would be... Like, if I'm going to do a dramatic reading of the Bible, like, I want to go, like, all out, you know, like, that'd be kind of fun. We should do that. The 456 dramatic reading of, of, you know, like some of the most crazy text in the scripture and stuff. And anyway, maybe not. But, but listen to it. Study it. But, but don't study it to be approved by God. S study it to know better the God who approves you, who loves you who gave himself up for you. We can still grow in our faith. We can still come to enjoy God more deeply and more fully. We can come to understand and comprehend his love for us more richly. And that brings us to our prayer. Our prayer today is this, God, through your grace, grow our faith to know, love, and enjoy you more. God, through your grace, grow our faith to know, love, and enjoy you more. I think too few Christians enjoy God. God is worth knowing, and he loves you more than you can ever imagine. And there is pleasure and joy in the presence of God. Psalm 1611 says, In the presence of God is fullness of joy, and his right hands are pleasures eternal. Come to know this God more deeply. Come to know him more fully. And, and, 
for those of you who are like me, where you, you constantly feel like you're not enough, you feel like you haven't measured up, like you've screwed something up this week, let's surround ourselves with the people who have trusted God, who have believed God. And not just this moment, but the last moment and the thousand moments before this. Let's put our confidence in the God who loved us and gave himself up for us. Let's rest in Christ and remember that we weren't enough to save ourselves. This isn't about what we're going to accomplish to continue ourselves being saved. This is, this is God at work in us. And fix your eyes on Jesus. If you would, right where you are, would you take just a moment? The words are on the screen. Just pray through that. Pray that God would grow your faith to know him more, to love him more, to enjoy him more. God, we thank you for your grace. We thank you that salvation is not something we've had to earn, but it's a free gift. We thank you, God, that our righteousness is not in jeopardy, that our holiness is not in question. We thank you for the righteous Son of God, Jesus, who died on our behalf. We thank you for the blood that makes us white as snow. We thank you for the empty tomb and the resurrected Savior that promises that we too will be resurrected to life one day. We thank you that your love for us is without question and without condition. We thank you that your forgiveness for us is measureless and your mercy is abundant. And we thank you, God, that we fix our eyes on you, when we rest in the work of Christ, that we are conformed to your likeness, that it's the byproduct of our faith, that faith rightly grounded in you produces in us the character of God. And we ask God that as we go from here today, for the next days and the years and however long you let us live on this planet or until you return, we pray, God, that our focus would be Christ. That we would judge others less, that we would judge ourselves less, and that we would delight in you more. For you are God and you are good and you are high and you are holy and you are gracious. In your name we pray. Amen.